The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The first noble truth for the last few weeks. And um, I think today will be the last day I talk about the first noble truth. (laughs) I'd like to just talk about it from yet another perspective this morning. And I think I'll start by kind of overviewing the the Four Noble Truths from the perspective that um, the Buddha offered in the very first discourse that he gave. In that discourse, he, it's the first time he he talked about the Four Noble Truths, and he um, he really pointed to I mean just just to say them to you now, <laughs> they are the the truth of suffering or dukkha, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the cessation of suffering, and the truth of the path leading to the cessation of suffering. And in exploring these and calling them noble truths, the Buddha doesn't mean in a way that these are truths that are um, just truths to believe. The way he put these is that they are the truths to be acted on. So he had a really pragmatic approach to, to wisdom and to truth. So these four noble truths, the truth of suffering, as I've been talking about you know, for the last few weeks, is this truth of things just not really... That in, in life, in our experience... There are, there's this kind of offness that can happen. I, I, you know, the sense that things just aren't quite right. And the term dukkha itself is the derivation of the term comes from the um, the center of a wheel, the axle portion of a wheel, is the ka portion of the word dukkha, and the du portion basically means bad or off. And so if you think about what a ride would be like with a wheel, with a, uh, an axle hole in the middle that's either, you know, it's too tight or it's kind of out of, off center somewhere, the ride is going to either be kind of stiff or it's going to be bumpy, you know, kind of out of round. Or, you know, maybe that, that hole is too loose and the wheel is going to fall off completely. You know, so that you know, there's that. There's just that sense. It, there's a kind of a range that this dukkha covers, from just the sense of things just aren't going the way I want them to go, to major catastrophe, the wheel falling off. So that that the Buddha just basically says, "Look, this is a truth. This is a truth of our lives. Things don't go always go the way we'd like them to go." And in terms of the first noble truth, he says. You know that this this dukkha is caused by a reaction or a response in our minds. It's caused by basically wanting things to be other than they are. So the uh, the dukkha itself isn't the unpleasantness of experience, isn't the fact that things are as they are. It is our response to things as they are that creates this feeling of things aren't right. 
things aren't right. Things feel like they're not right because we feel like they're not right. So it's, it sounds kind of self-referential, but it is, it is that. It is our, our own internal um, response to this, um, to, to the situations in life that is the cause of this feeling that things aren't right. And then the Buddha says, it's possible to be free of that. It's possible to be free of that sense that um, we feel that things are, are not right. So that, that, that things as they are, are as they are, and that is, there's no reactivity to that whatsoever. Complete acceptance. Complete acceptance of things as they are. So it's possible, the Buddha says, that's possible to have that complete acceptance of our experience. And in that complete, utterly complete acceptance, there is no problem with whatever is happening. And that is what we, we understand to be the third noble truth, the, the ending of this dukkha. The ride feels smoother because there is no resistance. There is acceptance. And then the fourth noble truth is the path. How do we, how do we navigate these truths. How do we, um, how do we engage so that we can begin to learn what acceptance is, what non-resistance is, and that's the fourth noble truth, the path leading to the ending of dukkha. And so, you know, he he laid these out there, and and you know, they could sound just like, okay, yep, there's there's dukkha, and that causes in your mind, it's possible to be free of it, and here's the path. You know, to to you know, just kind of look at that and say, oh, that looks like a nice thing. <laughs> but the the teaching basically encourages us to act on these truths. So there's an there's an actual action associated with each of these truths. So the first noble truth, the truth of suffering, the Buddha says, really helpful to understand suffering. And that's mostly what I'm going to talk about today. So, helpful to understand suffering. The second noble truth, the um, truth of that reactivity in our mind, that resistance, that, you know, that sense that things, we want things to be some other way. That wanting. The action the Buddha says is helpful there is to let go of that wanting. That, that that wanting can be uh, let go of. The fourth noble truth, the truth of the ending of suffering, that complete non-acceptance, I mean complete acceptance of things as they are, that is meant to be realized. That it is in the actual recognition, this is the experience of acceptance, that we begin to uh, to see the possibility of freedom from that dukkha. So it is that that third noble truth is meant to be realized. The fourth noble truth, the truth of the path, is meant to be cultivated. So we have to engage with the path. You know that that the, we learn about what the the path is and engage with the qualities of heart and mind that um, create that path. So with these, these 
these actions associated with each of these truths. He also, with each of the four noble truths, kind of broke it down into three steps associated with each truth. So, with each step, there is the actual recognition, experiential recognition of the truth. So, the first noble truth, this is suffering. So, what, what is suffering? This is what I've been talking about for the last three, four weeks, however long. You know, what, what is suffering? So, that kind of, that feeling of offness. How do we recognize that as suffering? The second aspect and I, I want to talk about each of these in just, just a little bit. Um, the second aspect of how he breaks these down is that this, suf- this suffering should be understood. And the third aspect is this suffering has been understood. So with each of the um, Four Noble Truths, there is this corresponding pattern. So there's the recognition or the understanding of the truth itself in experience. What is this wanting? What is this um, letting, uh, letting go? So, or what is this um, ending of suffering? And, and what is this path? So there's this, the, the first part is just the recognition of the truth. Inexperience. The second part is understanding the is is kind of recognizing or seeing the usefulness of the action that's associated with that truth. So seeing, uh, you know, kind of connecting with, yeah, oh, I see. Yes, suffering should be understood. You know, we may not fully understand it, but we have a sense of the purpose for that, of the of the reason for that, of the importance of that so that we actually connect with that. And to me, that's kind of like the intention. It's like we see that that is an important thing to do. So it's kind of aligning us in the direction of that, of that action. So with, with the suffering, it should be understood. And then the, the, the last one, has been understood, is basically the recognition of the, um, the accomplishment of that action. So I want to talk about each of these three uh, with respect to the first noble truth. Now one way to think about these three aspects of each truth is as insights around each of the noble truths. So around suffering, there are these three insights that this is suffering, is an insight and you know that's that's actually an important recognition that um, you know, so that first aspect that first activity or uh, aspect is what the the term is how how it's translated in in the suttas these three aspects of each of each truth that 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 aspect of recognizing this is suffering is actually um, an insight. Now, that, that means basically that we, we are seeing suffering through this lens of understanding from the perspective of um, how the Buddha understands suffering. So, you know, there, there's, there's, there, you, you, might, you might explore or you might have a sense of, 
you know, you're, you're in a really difficult situation. It's like, yeah, this is suffering, and it's, you know, this is... And there's this, you know, real sense of this is bad, this is yuck, you know, I've got to get rid of this. And that's not the kind of uh, insight <laughs> that's being referred to there. <laughs> it's more of the recognition of, oh, this is, this is what the Buddha was talking about. You know, this is a suffering in experience. And because of that, it's kind of like we can start to see, oh, I see, this is actually something that's worth paying attention to. So that, that's a kind of a shift of our mind around the experience. We go from this just, got to get rid of this, got bad, wrong, to kind of a more sense of interest. You know, what is this? You know, oh, this, this is what the Buddha was talking about. This is suffering. And so I've been talking about this a lot. You know, I talked about the, um, the kind of the, the, the reactive nature of our minds as being this suffering. Um, I've talked about this, you know, kind of a, over the weeks, I've talked about different, different ways this comes to be. And so I don't want to go over that all right now. It's actually mostly I want to get to understanding it. Um, I also talked about the three kinds of dukkha, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, that's just, again, you know, so that we can begin to understand, to see, oh, this is dukkha. Even this you know, subtle sense of offness, this is dukkha. And this is what the Buddha was talking about. This is, this is, a, this is a noble truth. And I also think that that term noble truth is interesting. Um... um you know, it, it, there's different ways to, to think about it, but one way that I like to think about it is that it's a truth that, um, you know, the, the truth around dukkha, the truth around this suffering, this offness, uh, when we see it as a noble truth, it is leading us towards freedom. So it, it's a, it's, it leads towards, in seeing it as a noble truth, it leads to a nobility of heart. It leads to a, an opening of the heart. And so it's, it's noble in a spiritual sense, in a, um, in the sense that um, waking up to that truth changes our being and we become it, you know as we as we wake up to these truths we become more um, ethical we become more reliable we re- become more stable um, we become more noble so that's I th- I, that's that's I I just like to reflect on that that term of noble. So this is suffering, just recognizing this is suffering. You know that, and actually I found in my own practice that when I remember, you know that that something is dukkha, and I like to use that term in my own mind because it connects it to this first noble truth for me. You know, so if I, if I can recognize, oh yeah, this is dukkha, somehow that helps me to shift my, my mind around the experience. 
Instead of being so resistive and reactive, it brings a little bit of acceptance by just acknowledging, oh yeah, this is dukkha. So I find that, that helpful in my, own, in my own practice. So once we start to see this dukkha as dukkha, you know, we start to recognize, oh yeah, this is dukkha. We start, we, we're, it, it, this is leading us in the direction, you know, this turning away from all this resistance and frustration and um, trying to fix and change and manipulate the environment. Once we've turned away from that and are instead turning towards the actual experience of, oh, this is dukkha, that actually leads us towards this recognition or insight that... Um, it's helpful, it should be, we need to un- try to understand this dukkha. So that this is the second aspect of this first noble truth. Suffering should be understood. So this is a, a, you know, kind of a recognition, oh, this, it's actually helpful to have a sense of curiosity and investigation around what is this, this dukkha? How is it being created in my experience? So when we can recognize that it's valuable to understand suffering, that's when we're kind of connecting with this second insight. It should be understood. And that also, we, kind of, we can kind of get a shift. There's, there can be a little bit of energy or interest that comes into our mind as we recognize, oh yeah, this is suffering and understanding it. And this is where all of our tools of practice come into play. A lot of the tools of our meditation practice are all about understanding suffering. How can we meet our experience? How can we um, cultivate the, the, the um, qualities of mind that support being able to meet our experience without reactivity? So in this insight, in this recognition of suffering should be understood. Partly what, what the shift that's happening there is that we go from having the sense of suffering is somehow out there and impinging on us to the sense that it's something that's happening inside this mind that is creating this suffering. That the situation out there is as it is. And admittedly, perhaps many people would react to that situation. But um, in, in, um, there are ways that, you know, it's kind of like situations out there. I mean, one of the ways I like to think about is suffering is that we have all these buttons, you know. Everybody has this notion of having buttons that get pushed. And... Um, the buttons are in there based on all of the ways that we've been raised and what, you know, how, how we've engaged with the world. So those buttons have been created inside us and we all got a different set of buttons. And so um, when some situation meets our experience and those buttons get pushed, that's when suffering happens. So the suffering is the pushing of those buttons. And so those buttons are in us. You know, we, we all have that sense of, well, that, he just really pushes my buttons, you know. Um, 
So that those buttons are in us, and it's like we're allowing them to be pressed. You know, it's like nobody actually can press those buttons without our cooperation. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the sense of, okay, well, let me understand these buttons. You know, let me understand what's going on here. How am I letting this person press my buttons? So we clearly begin to see in this insight, we clearly begin to see that it's this suffering, the, the kind of um, suffering of the first noble truth is happening inside this, this being. And so that turning towards the experience is valuable. Turning towards the experience of the, what is, what is this experience? To begin to understand it, to explore it, to investigate it. So that we take our attention out of the world where, you know, we, what, that we are re- reacting to and turn instead towards the feeling of the dukkha itself. This is a radical shift. And we talk about it a lot in here, but um, you know, it's 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 actually pretty radical to instead of thinking about okay, how can I adjust the world so these buttons don't get pushed, to instead turn and say, okay, here's what it feels like to have these buttons pushed. So the understanding that of this first noble truth, the understanding of suffering isn't an intellectual understanding that is being referred to. It's not a, okay, here's what happened when I was a kid, and yeah, I see that that person is doing something kind of like what that person did way back in my history, and so yeah, I can kind of see why this is happening. That can be helpful in some ways. I mean, we can start to see through that kind of reflection that you know, history has come into play in our response in the present moment. And it can help us to, you know, uh, be a little less reactive. But in my experience, you know, um, that kind of understanding, well, there's a benefit to it. The kind of benefit that I've seen in my own experience is that it helps to make the button pushing a little less personal. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, that person is pushing this button, but it's like, it's a button that's got a long history to it. So it can make it a little bit easier to not be so, take it so personally when those buttons get pushed. So that we can, okay, yep, this is, yep, this is just this pattern again. So we can, you know, so having that kind of a recognition around our, our history, that kind of reflective practice, thinking about how did this come to be, can be helpful in terms of helping us to take it less personally. But in my experience, it doesn't change the fact that the buttons get pushed. It just means that we recognize, oh yeah, there's that button getting pushed again. (laughs) And um, what I've seen actually does change the fact that these buttons get pushed is the willingness to turn and look at what is this experience? What is happening right now? What is the actual experience that's happening right now? Because suffering is actually created right in the moment. It's a, um, you know, that button is kind of sitting there. You know, we've got these, these, you know, the, 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 the pattern, the fam- you know, the familiar pattern kind of has a, what you might call a tendency to be pressed, you know, that that button is there and it's... It, 
But it's, if it's not being pressed, there isn't any suffering around it, right? I mean, um, and so, you know, the, 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 um, the suffering around that experience happens right here and right now. You know, you're, 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 you're you know, walking down the street, and you're, you know, looking at the trees and looking at the sidewalk and looking at the people that are walking by and suddenly, you know, your eye ca- catches on this, this person that's walking on the other side of the street and, you know, that person has a body shape kind of like somebody that has been really hard on you. And boom, there's a thought that arises in your mind about that person that has, you know, been hurtful to you and... In the next moment, you're in some kind of struggle and suffering around that memory. That has happened because of a chain of events in your mind. If that person hadn't been walking down the street, that particular pattern of suffering probably wouldn't have risen. Now, maybe some other pattern of suffering would have, but that particular pattern was triggered by a series of events. So that suffering was created in the present moment. And so this is the exploration around understanding suffering. How can we begin to see and understand how this, these patterns of suffering are created right here and right now? So this is, it, it's, a, it's a process. You know, it's a process of exploration and it takes a kind of a willingness to explore experience, the feeling of the experience. So willingness to explore, what does it feel like to have this kind of suffering? And this may be any kind of suffering. It might be, it might be sadness or loneliness or depression or guilt or frustration or anger or um, um, agitation or um, eagerness, excitement that's got an edge to it. It could be any, anything. It apply. It's the same. It's the same thing. Turning towards the, this. This is what this experience is. And a lot of the support of the practice comes from the familiarity with how does this impact the body, because so much of our uh, suffering does impact our physical experience. You know that that scenario I just described about you know seeing the the person and then having the memory and then reacting to that memory. You know, with some kind of a uh, an emotion, anger or frustration or um, hatred, all of those emotions have a physical manifestation. And so learning how to turn towards this feeling of suffering by exploring the body, really helpful. Partly it's helpful because it tends to take us out of that turning outward to how can I fix this, how can I change this, how can I... Or turning into our thoughts. In that example, you know, um, we have... uh, That example has been completely constructed in our minds. We're remembering some event that happened in the past and we're reviewing it, thinking about it, maybe trying to revise the past by thinking about it. Um, or you know, projecting into the future. How can I? How can I make sure that you know I can you know tell this person just the right thing so that this never happens again? And so we move into our into our thoughts, 
and are constructing some kind of a world in our thoughts and manipulating that world. And boy, we do that a lot, you know. We can't, we're not very successful at manipulating our outer world. I mean, sometimes we can do little bits of it, but, you know, we can really manipulate our inner, our inner thoughts and we spend a lot of time doing that. So if we can turn to the actual bodily feeling, it helps to take us out of that uh, turning towards how do I fix this, how do I change this, towards just how can I experience this? What, it, what is this experience? So we begin to understand it through the direct experience of it. This takes a little bit of a leap of faith because, um, you know, it doesn't usually feel very good to turn and observe suffering. You know, there's, there's a way that, and I've talked about this in the, in the last few weeks, of how... Um, when we're um, oriented around fixing or changing the world or we're in our thoughts imagining, oh yes, this is just the right thing that I could do. You know, our, our experience is, is uh, turned towards the way we're going to fix things or how we're going to get rid of this unpleasant thing. Uh, and so there's a kind of a sense of control, perhaps, that feels good, or there's a sense of, of rightness of our imagination that feels good, you know, the kind of a fantasy that, that feels good. And so those kinds of um, manipulations of our mind tend to mask the actual experience of the dukkha. You know, we, we, you know, we, we, we're, we're not really seeing this uh, this reactivity inside because we're more focused on the outside. And so, you know, turning towards those feelings, you know, it's kind of like, it's a leap of faith to say, okay, I'm going to let go of what I've done all of my life to fix things and change things and, you know, try to get a little tiny bit of happiness here and there by being able to arrange things for even just 10 minutes you know, I can arrange things and make sure that for 10 minutes I've got 10 minutes of happiness and that's better than nothing, so let me do that. And to, to let go of that habit, to let go of that pattern, takes a little bit of courage. To instead turn towards the feeling of something that doesn't feel very good. Now I, I do want to point out, and I hope most of you have experienced something like this, where when we actually do turn towards these feelings of suffering with mindfulness, with acceptance, with non-resistance, there can be a kind of a space that's created around that suffering. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, okay. It's almost like that, that experience has been asking for our attention. And the way that we've been trained in our lives to pay attention to it is by trying to fix it or change, you know, trying to fix things and change things so that feeling will go away. This turning towards the feeling is a different way of attending to that feeling. And, and paradoxically, you know, a lot of what is creating or causing our suffering is, you know, it's the feeling itself. It's not the fact that, you know, so for instance, you know, we don't like something in the environment. And we think we've got to get rid of that thing in the environment or get ourselves out of here. 
And that's what's made us happy. We've seen that, yeah, when we get rid of that thing, there's, a, there's that moment of relief. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that when we get rid of that thing, that, that suffering goes away. So it's like, that must be the path. That must be how I'm supposed to do things. But when we um, begin to turn towards the experience, we actually start to see it's not the thing out there that's an issue. It's the feeling of the, uh, um, the suffering around it. You know, this, you know, the not liking itself is the suffering. The not liking is the, is the issue. If the not liking were to dissipate, there wouldn't be a problem with what's out there. So that's kind of the exploration. You know, what, is it, what does it mean to uh, have this suffering? What is the feeling of it? And we can begin to see, we can begin to recognize that as we turn towards our, uh, our suffering, as we turn towards this reactivity, <coughs> this, this, this dukkha, that um, when the suffering when, when, the, when we're observing it, first of all, that space around it makes it feel a little different. You know, when we're observing with mindfulness, that space around the struggle gives us a sense of, oh, okay, there's a little more room for navigation here. So there's, there's not so much reactivity to the reactivity. So there there's, can be a kind of a feeling of settling that happens around that struggle. And then by just being willing to stay with it, we start to see how it changes we can start to see how does that experience change. So in my own experience, um, you know, it's kind of this observation of suffering. It's kind of like being a botanist or being a, um, uh, you know, that kind of being something that's observing a natural phenomenon, you know, being an explorer, observing a natural phenomenon. Because the suffering that is created in our minds is a natural phenomenon, you know, and it, it uh, you know, comes up different ways. They sprout in different ways. There's different conditions that lead to these, this, uh, this kind of suffering. And, you know, we have different patterns that we can begin to get familiar with. And so the understanding of suffering is kind of like being a botanist. You know, you, you, you take time. You, over and over again, you look at this. You look at this over and over again. Looking at it once is probably not going to do it. I mean, you go out in, in nature and look at, look at something once and you understand a little bit about it. But, you know, you don't get a lot of information by just going out and looking at a at a maple tree once, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, there's a maple tree. You can kind of tell a little bit about that, you know, you know what shape the leaves are, you, you know that they produce these little things that float down. And, um, so it tells you a little bit about a maple tree, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell you, you know, kind of how the whole thing comes into, into being. It doesn't tell you how that thing uh, dies or what are the conditions that make that tree sick or... Um, so, you know, going out into nature over and over again, you begin to understand something by, by looking. I mean, how do botanists work? They go out and they look. <laughs> they look over and over and over and over again, and they begin to understand something. 
So likewise with our minds, with this suffering, to understand it, we need to look at it over and over again. Each time we look at it, we get a little bit more information, a little bit more understanding. It's a data-gathering process. It's a, um, a witnessing. And, you know, it's interesting to me how this, this witnessing um, is so powerful. And this, I think, begins to lead into the last aspect. Suffering has been understood the third aspect of this first noble truth. Because as we begin to really understand suffering, what seems to happen to me, you know, in my experience is that we start to see, you know, all the parts and pieces that come to put it together. And we really see in particular that there's one thing in our minds (laughs) that's holding it all together. And as we really see that it is actually internal in our own minds that this suffering is actually locked into place, it's actually our mind understands that, it starts to let go of that lock. It starts to let go of that, what I call it sometimes call the linchpin that kind of holds this whole pattern together. So the understanding of suffering begins to lead us to the recognition, the, the truth, of the second noble truth. What is it that is causing the suffering? This wanting, this craving, this not accepting things as they are. And in, in some ways, you know, I, I do like to, um, at least in my own experience, it seems to me that we can almost come at our experience from any one of these four noble truths, that the full understanding of these three noble truths you know, if I'm looking at things in terms of this is suffering, you know, how, how do I fully understand this suffering? In the full understanding of that suffering, the other three noble truths are already being cultivated and understood. So the, the full understanding of this is suffering, this is how it's created, we see in that moment it falls apart. And we recognize that we've been doing the things that help us to understand it. Right there, all four noble truths in this first noble truth. So in a way, you know, the path, that the, this, these three aspects of this first noble truth incorporate the path. I mean, the, 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 the practices of understanding are the path. The path to, um, you know, cultivate... Um, ethical conduct and to cultivate understanding and to cultivate concentration and uh, wise effort. All of those come into play as we turn and try to understand our suffering. And as that suffering, as we really see that suffering, you know, as I said, you know, the mind begins to let go. That linchpin kind of starts to let go. That's the second noble truth, letting go of the cause of suffering. And in that letting go, as that letting go happens, we realize the ending of that suffering. We rec- and that's the third noble truth. So really, you know, we can kind of come at this from pretty much any one of these doorways. Um, so, I think that's enough for me right now. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm Alice in the back. And it's Alice, right? Mary Alice, Mary Alice okay. <laughs>
Oh, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. As, uh, as you're talking, uh, and I find a lot of acceptance that there's, this is really knowledge that is very important. Um, I, I just wonder, is there, is there a, um, when you're opening up and letting that linchpin loosen up a little bit and understanding, I have a particular example. Uh, one of our daughters uh, works uh, for an organization in Cambodia, and they work with trafficked children, trying to get them out of it and then have a livelihood so they can, they can support themselves and they don't have to go back to it. And, um, and I can understand a parent that has maybe a, a house full of kids, and if they sell one child, they can feed everybody. Uh, um, I can understand even the child maybe understanding that. I can understand the, uh, the person who wants that child in a sexual way, say, you know, as, they, uh, as a sex slave, having been so hurt in the past, and maybe this is, brings solace to this person. But I just wonder, um, what is the path to action to say, this, this is wrong, this, this, this should not be? Compassion is the path to action. Yeah, I can understand that because I was saying I can understand the different viewpoints. And, and they do work with the people who are wanting these children and try to get them to say, well, hey, you know, I'm really disrupting this child's life and, and is that pretty selfish? You know, just trying to work with people from where they're coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but is, there, is there a time when you just, uh, you have to act to save people from circumstances where they have no power? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the key here in terms of this teaching around dukkha is that um, it's, the, it's the hatred and aversion that are not helpful. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's um, the, the heart of compassion wants to act. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's actually in they, they've done some studies on some um, some monks who have very powerful capacity for concentration and um, have done a lot of this practice of cultivating compassion and so they can kind of at will put themselves into the space of compassion this deep kind of compassion calling up situations in their mind of deep suffering and connecting with that with compassion so the heart is open it's not uh, clamped down anywhere and in the in the um, in the brain not only is it is it showing that it's all it's 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 putting the the area of the brain that is most engaged is this wholesome area of the brain, but it's also engaged in this movement to action, that that, the compassion comes along with a a wanting to alleviate the suffering. But it doesn't have to have the aversion and anger and hatred connected to it. And so it's really that side of it that we're trying to unlock our hearts from. 
And it's, it's you know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's very uh, uh, familiar to us to have this sense of self-righteousness or, you know, you know, justice, having with it this kind of edge of this, per- this is wrong, this is bad, this is, you know, and it is what it is. It's creating suffering, this situation that you're describing. It, it is what it is. It's creating suffering, and it is the suffering that the, the open heart responds to, not the notion of this is bad, this is, you know, this, this person, you know, so the, there's just a, it's kind of a, 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 a reframing, in a sense. And in our hearts, as we begin to recognize that that closing down of, you know, in anger, in hatred, as a motivation for action, doesn't actually serve us very well, and it actually doesn't serve others as well as the open heart. We, um, we can start to kind of recognize that, you know, we can't simply turn off that reaction, right? I mean, this is our practice. So we recognize, we acknowledge, yes, I'm feeling a lot of anger here, there's a lot of hatred of the person that's per- perpetuating, perpetrating that crime on that other person. So there's that, that hatred there. As we turn towards that, we try to understand that. And if we need to act, we see, can we try to act out of a more compassionate place? You know, trying almost to call up that as a place to act from. Because, you know, there's going to be mixed motivations for us. So it's, it's, it's kind of more along the lines of recognizing, yes, I see this anger and this hatred in me. And can I um, open my heart to maybe not act out of that anger, but see if I can act out of compassion for the person instead, for the person who's being harmed. And maybe even see, can you open your heart to the whole history of that other person that has led them to that uh, that action. We're all we're all a product of our conditioning. That you know that is helpful because I I think um, um, her viewpoint and some and I don't know the whole organization. I think they try to motivate. They're motivated by compassion for everybody, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but but also there is a. Um, a feeling of, uh, oh, um, pass- the passivity of uh, maybe uh, in some times some kinds of Buddhism, where you say, well, this child is having a lot of suffering, but something in her past, which is probably true, something in her past uh, puts this on her. And yeah, that's, I can't, that's, you know, that's yeah. not quite the teaching. No, no, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, isn't, it isn't that um, yeah. you've, you hurt somebody in your past, so that's going to come around and get you. You know, it isn't that. I know that. Uh, but also, I mean, yes, it's not, it's, that, yeah, that's not, that's not really the way it's understood. And it's also, it's not, the way it's understood is not that, oh, yeah, this things as they are. We just sit there and, you know, oh, things as they are. You know, mm-hmm. there's a child running out into the road getting ready to hit by a car. Things as they are, you know. Mm-hmm. We take action. Mm-hmm. We take action. So, um, but it's helpful to recognize, is that action being taken out of anger, hatred, or is it out of compassion? Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. That's very good. All right. um, <laughs> you can go first. So I have a question, question, and, and then uh, uh, let me ask the question first and then describe an experience, uh, the questions about the experience. So um, are we looking for the sequence? You, you were speaking earlier. Are we looking for the sequence of events, or are we trying to understand why, why we're wanting? And, and so, so here, here, here's, here's the experience earlier this morning. Um, I found myself obsessing in thoughts about something that's been going on for several days a week. Um, and suddenly there was some mindfulness and I recognized it as suffering. I, I recognized that I was mindful, I recognized I was suffering, and then there was total confusion. And, 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 and then um, I recognized the way I was, the way I was feeling this craving, this wanting in my body. Mm -hmm. That was all fine up until then. Um, and what happened next was um, uh, uh, some understanding of why I, was, why I was wanting the outcome I was wanting. And I'm a little mistrustful of that. Um, it's, it's, it, it's, it may be wise to be mistrustful of that, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I went off into this Western psychology yes. trying yeah. to understand, uh -huh. or if I really touched on something that was important. And, um, so, so a couple of pieces to put, put out there with what you've said. One, you know, so let me, let me think there's two uh, pieces I want to put out there. Um, one is the, the kind of creation of understanding. And the other is the sequence of uh, what, are we, what are we trying to do, in a way. Um, so in terms of that, that, that one about, you know, the sense of understanding that came, um, you know, sometimes there can be that recognition of, oh, I see why this is happening. You know, you know there's kind of, a, kind of an understanding of that. I like to hold those really lightly. Um, you know, it's like, okay, that's some information Maybe, maybe not, you know, let's just put that aside and, you know, it's, it, it's kind of like that, that's a piece of information that has arisen in this data gathering. Let's not, let's not say that's the reason, that's it. And then, because what happens, I think, as we, as we do that, you know, that's like a meaning, we're putting a meaning, in a sense, on the experience. And then when we, um, we do that, it's kind of like that meaning becomes a view through which we observe other uh, other related experiences, and that can d uh, limit our capacity to actually see the experience uh, more deeply. So, I like to think of those as interesting little tidbits. <laughs> you know, like, okay, that's there. I don't actually have to decide or evaluate whether it's accurate or true or right. It can be just another piece of information, um, and over time. Um, there are kind of recognitions or insights that, um, that, that kind of we can see in the moment how that recognition came to be. So, for instance, in my own experience, um, 
um, in looking at self-hatred over and over and over and over again. At some point, there was an experience where in the moment I saw, and I can't even remember what I saw, but the, the, the feeling of this experience I'm going to describe, not the details, I saw kind of how the the self-hatred was put together. And in that seeing of how that self-hatred was put together, I recognized that it was indeed connected to a particular person in my history. You know, that, 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 you know, that pattern of self-hatred I had long suspected was related to that particular uh, person in my history, but didn't have any actual deep knowledge of that. And somehow in the seeing of the self-hatred being put together, I clearly saw how that was all connected. And so that's a kind of a psychological insight in a way. Of, you know, it, it, there was no question in my mind at that point of how it was connected. And so there may be something to what you've seen, but if there's not that clarity, kind of hold it lightly. Um, so if there's that sense of, well, I'm not sure I trust that, it's like, okay, well, let's just leave that as a kind of a, a piece of information. Um, the other side is, you know, in terms of this data gathering, um, what we're doing is just, you know, we're going out into the woods and seeing what's there. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is what's happening right now. And we just look at what's obvious. It's not that we're trying to, you know, we could we could try to understand something by chopping down that maple tree, you know, and looking at the rings or, you know, dissecting the bark or something. We're not trying to be that invasive here. So we're just looking at what is obvious. What can I obviously see here in this experience? And um, over time, what I've seen is that the parts, that sequence that I talked about, you know, that in that description, uh, you know, that kind of sequence of seeing the person and seeing the memory and seeing the reaction. Over time, we begin to understand that sequence by kind of seeing the situation, seeing a particular pattern arise many different times. You begin to understand how it's put together. And it's put together different ways each time. But, you know, it's kind of, you, you see kind of threads of similarity. In, in those patterns as they're put together. And so it's really just meeting what is obvious in this moment and not trying to dig it or take it apart or dissect it. That's a little bit more... Um, uh, that brings in a little bit more of the, you know, the ideas, I think. We're really just trying to meet what's actually here right now. And over time, the putting together of the sequence just begins to happen through understanding. It's not, it's not something we actually have to try to do so much. Does that make sense? So, it's the mic. With what I described, is it, is it important? So I didn't get that first thing that, that evoked that, that, those right. thoughts. Right. No, no need to try to go back and figure that out. Is, is that an important piece of the sequence? To get that first piece, um, it you know I think with deep patterns, with patterns that are really really common, you know ones that come up over and over again, it seems to me that 
seeing how it's put together, you know, actually recognizing this is how this thing is put together, has a really powerful capacity to just slice into that pattern. Um, but it's not something you can do. It's more that over time with kind of an orientation of this is a pattern that I do over and over again. Let me just look at this. Let me, let me you know, I'm going to, you know, every time I go out, I'm going to look at maple trees. You know, it's like every time this pattern comes up, I'm going to look at it. And over time, um, the, the repeated interest in understanding begins to reveal the structure of it. It's the freedom that's most important. Uh, in my own experience, a lot of that freedom has come through the... It, 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 and it doesn't have to actually be this, the direct seeing. Like I said that, you know, the, the, the seeing where it's um, just really, really obvious. Like I said, I don't even remember how that insight got put together around seeing the connection between the past and how it's cre- being created now. I don't know how that happened. It, it happened too fast. It's just there was a... There was a clear... Oh, I see. Woo. And it was like, how did I see that? I don't know how I saw it. <laughs> but it was just really clear. Um, so it's just, it's, the mindfulness, the continuity of mindfulness will be the power of, of the clear seeing. So you don't have to try to do it. Um, and, you know, freedom comes in so many different ways. So, yeah. And it's, it's past 11 now, so we need to stop. Sorry, I went over. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll be away for a couple weeks, and I'll pick up this. Um, there will be um, somebody here, obviously. Somebody's always here. So, <laughs> um, But I'll be back in, in a couple of weeks. and Actually, it'll be three weeks because I'm away for two. And I'll pick up with the second noble truth. We'll carry on. <laughs> okay.